The following audio is from Central Christian Church located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
great day to be worshiping God together. He changes our hearts. He changes our lives.
Oh, 
start with a question. Have you ever asked yourself, am I worth it? Am I worth it? Was it worth Jesus dying for me? Two examples from Scripture that thought they were not worth it. Moses in Exodus tried very hard to tell God He was not much used for anything, but herding sheep and goats, he headed up as ended up as a leader of millions of people by following God's steps by step instruction. Am I worth it? Gideon tried hiding in wine presses and treading on corn. He was hiding from men. The angel said he was a mighty man of valor. Gideon knew he wasn't. But God knew he would be, and he proved it. Will you let him prove that you were worth it? Will you let him prove that you have a unique purpose to accomplish in his will. We talked to the songs this morning about how powerful he is, how wonderful he is. Just another idea here that his purpose through you with his power is untouchable. It's untouchable. Matthew nine twelve says Jesus said that healthy people don't need a doctor. Only the sick need a doctor. I didn't come to invite good people. I came to invite sinners. That is why God is here inviting us while Jesus was alive. He gave everything of himself to his disciples. He invited them to share in his life, his love for the people, his power to heal and to invite them to share in his suffering. When the time came... For him to die for us, all he, all he gave, absolutely everything, to free us from our sin and bring us home to the Father's love. The truth is God has always considered we were worth rescuing. None of us feel 100% comfortable with that. I know I don't. I don't know that I'm ever worth it, but I'm grateful. God knew we couldn't rescue ourselves, so he did it all himself. He provided the rescue plan, the sacrifice, and the circumstances to make that happen. In Ephesians 2.13, at one time you were far away from God, but now in Christ Jesus you are brought near to God through blood of Christ's death. Because of Christ, we now have inside peace. In Hebrews 12:2, let us look only to Jesus. He is the one who began our faith, and he makes our faith perfect. 
So are we worth it? He thought so. And he died for us. And that's what we do this morning to remember that death on the cross was for us. If you'll pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the power that you possess to know that we are worth it. We're worth it to you, Father, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the, the aspect that you gave your son to die on a cross. A horrible and horrific death so that we might be saved. Fathers, we take these emblems today to remember that sacrifice. Father, we just offer you thanks. We offer you praise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Every year, Michigan State puts out a contest of the the best warning labels on on products. Uh, sadly, I have the 2019. I don't think they did one last year. Uh, put this one up for our electrician friends, and you know, Brian, I I don't want you to hurt while you're dying. I, you know, I want it to be a quick process. You know, now what Michigan State do? Some of their marketing students they take products. And they take their warning labels on there, and they do a top ten. Here are just some of the winners from 2019. On a Craftsman chainsaw, do not hold the wrong end of chainsaw. I think that's good advice. Uh, you know, I just think that's good. On a Yamaha jet ski, it said this. Never use a lit match or an open flame to check fuel level. Okay. This one I really want to check. I desperately want to run to Walmart to see if this is on. On a Vidal Sassoon hair dryer, do not use while sleeping. Now, I, you know, I've heard of sleepwalking, but sleep styling? Yeah, you know, I mean, is this a thing? Uh, this next one was on a carton of eggs that was a local brand. It wasn't a nationwide brand. It was a local brand. And it said on a carton of eggs, like a 12, you know, and I'm talking a little... You know, Styrofoam 12. It said, on a carton of eggs, it says, this product may contain eggs. <laughs> Am I being bunked? I mean, what is going on? On a Conair iron, it says, do not iron clothes while on body. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to multitask. I'm late for church. I, you know, I will put the slacks on. I will iron the crease. And we'll stop at the hospital for the third-degree burns. Um, my favorite was this one. On a Dremel tool, you know what a Dremel tool is? On a Dremel tool, it said, this product not to be used as a dental drill. <laughs> and we had a dentist last year when I was reading, last night reading this, and she was like, what? <laughs> okay, you and I both know why those things are on there, right? We know that because... Some idiot tried it, all right? And then lawyers got involved, and, that, you know, and they tried to blame the company. And so the lawyers come up with all these things to put on there because it's the American way. If something goes wrong, i got to have somebody to sue. I mean, that's, that's all about America. That we want somebody to blame. If something goes wrong in our life, it's never, ever my own stupid fault, is it? 
We're in this series called Streams in the Desert. It's what we're going to go through the whole summer. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, that God can bring and does bring life into dry places to worn out deserts. God can and will bring refreshing. I think all of us at one time or another end up in dry, desolate places. We all go through those parts of life. But what if you're there because of you? Okay, this is not popular preaching. This is not all funsies. This is hard. Because sometimes bad things happen to us. All right? Sometimes bad things happen to us that, you know, you're driving along, you got both hands on the wheel, you're not eating, you're not texting, you're not playing with the stereo, and somebody comes out of no man's land and hits you. It's not your fault. But sometimes bad things happen because we're dumb. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15 in a story that you very well know. Uh, it's a part of a popular culture. We're going to look at it this week and next week. There's some characters in there, but it's a very familiar story. And I'm asking you, just because you know it, to, to not tune it out. I'm asking you to read along with us in Luke chapter 15. We want to be a Bible-believing church and a Bible-using church. So get your app out, get your Bible out. We're glad you're with us. I'm going to be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version We're going to do it this week, and we're going to do it next week, and look at some of the characters in this story. But as we read it, I pray that God is speaking into you, and that you're hearing him. In chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he had distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went out to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, though, He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father while the son was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Let's bring up the lights and let's talk together uh, about all of this as we break this down. It starts out, a man had two sons. It is one of the most beloved of all parables. And Charles Dickens actually calls this the greatest short story ever written. And it's a powerful story of, uh, of, of the interaction between the three main characters. There are three characters, a dad an older son and a younger son. We're going to look at the older son next week, but we're going to look at that younger one today. We call it the story of the prodigal son. Do you realize the word prodigal is not in the Bible? It's not in there ever. I don't really know where we ended up with that word because it's really even mis 
applied. The word prodigal, we think, means runaway. And that would be logical. Uh, we call him the prodigal that, that ran away and comes back. But prodigal actually means extravagant. And the prodigal in this story is the dad. He gives extravagantly. He loves extravagantly. And that's the character that we want to see in this. Jesus tells these stories because he's trying to, he's trying to peel back the curtain between God and man. And he tells these stories, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly application that we call parables. I love the parables. And, and it, one of the struggles I have with this is I always try to figure out the why. Well, why did he do that? Why didn't he? It's a made-up story. This didn't really happen. I keep trying to make it into something that happened. It didn't really happen. It's a made-up story, but it has real life in it. And I think you'll find all of us are part of this story. And I want you to know that one of the things we've been saying through the Disciple Series is that context is king, that it is important to know what is going on around this story. Why was this story told? I'll tell you why. Look up in verse 1. It's because Jesus hung out with a bunch of people he shouldn't be hanging out with. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This bugged the religious leadership, the elitist. They thought a rabbi should be with good people, not with lost people. But Jesus came to deal with lost people. So he's telling these stories to lost people. But standing around on the side are the church folk. Okay? You get it? The church people that are very elite, that are looking down their noses, are listening to these stories. And it keeps reminding me that Jesus sent us to make disciples. He didn't send us to make church people more churchy. He sent us to make disciples of lost people, to impact broken people, to make sure that we're telling them about Jesus. And I want us to hear God's words, and I want us to be changed by God's words. I'm afraid sometimes we hear these stories and go, oh, I know this one. I mean, the prodigal, it's even in pop culture. I think most people that don't, don't go to church still could give you the basics of the prodigal son. They could give you the, the phrasings. But I want you to notice a couple of really intently look at a couple of phrases. There's one phrase in there. He says, give me my share of the estate. Now, you and I in our culture, we know what that means. We know about estate taxes. We know about wills. We know about all of that kind of stuff. We're like, yeah, that's no big deal. But in this culture, that was huge. Because what he was saying was, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he was saying. I would rather have your stuff than a relationship with you. I don't want to be through this. I don't want to wait. I want what I want, and I want it now. What he really wanted was a different life. Anybody been there? I just, I just wish I could just run away and start over. Anybody? I just wish we could just wipe the slate clean. I wish we could go back. I, wish, I just want to do something different. But you see, when this guy said, I want my share of the estate, he's saying, I don't even want you alive, Dad. And then he says, and there's another phrase in here that, that shows up, a little small phrase, but is very, very huge to the story. 
It's this phrase, the distant country. Anybody see that one? Some of your versions might say the faraway land. That's what I actually call this lesson. This one's the faraway land, and next week is the land nearby. The faraway land, the distant country, is kind of a generic description. Could be Texas, could be Transylvania. We don't know. But what he's saying to the Jewish audience, though, they hear those words. They hear a distant country, and they don't hear... Uh, where you need to go have a passport. They hear one thing and one thing only. To a Jewish ear, the distant country is Gentile country. It's where good little Jewish boys and girls don't go. Okay? We don't go there. We're never supposed to go there. It is not where I'm supposed to go. And the interesting part about this whole story, that is if this really did happen, and it really happened, Jesus taught most of his stuff around the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of a teardrop shape. And he was probably in Capernaum, which is up on the northwest side. Now, if this was a real story, and this guy was really in Capernaum, and his son ran away to the distant country, he could have run to the Decapolis, which is on the other side of the lake. And on any given night, the dad could sit on his front porch and see the lights of Gentile country. He could hear the noise of the parties and know his son is right over there. That's what this means to a Jewish ear. He's not only running away from dad, he's running away from God. He's abandoning his faith. And what he's saying is, I want a new God. And that God's name is me. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be in charge of me. I want to be in control of everything. Have you ever been to the distant country? Let me go a different direction and come back to that. A different kind of question. What kind of person does God love? Sounds like an easy question. You should pretty, pretty simple say, everybody. God loves everybody. I mean, God is love. And when, then we expand it and we say, love wins. And he wouldn't send anybody to hell because he's a good God. And, and, and it's, it's all okay. And then our self-absorbed culture just says, says, just accept your faults. That's how you were made. It's okay. Just, just embrace who you are. Embrace your faults. Embrace yourself. But the problem with that theology is it doesn't do justice to the world we live in. If that be the case, what do we do with Hitler? What do we do with bin Laden? Well, he wasn't that bad of a guy. He was just made that way. What about child molesters? What about people that have done really bad things? That we, oh, no, 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 Don, you can, mm -mm, no way. There's bound to be limits to God's love, right? You see, if we take this God loves everybody and it's all okay mindset, then it is, it doesn't give any right or wrong. And, and if that be the case, then how should God feel about the other sinners? You know, the ones that didn't, put everything on their tax form they were supposed to. What about what about somebody that has a little bit of trouble with alcohol? What about somebody that's had an abortion? What about the husband that has failed? What about the mom that loses her temper? What about gossips? You know, we're tempted to say, well, Don, those aren't sin sins. You know what I'm saying? You know, I don't like her like her. You know, you know what I'm saying? 
they're not sin sins. They're just, it's not that big of a deal. Those are, those are kind of minor things. But what these questions get to, they get to the core of how we understand the character of God. Because there's too many times you and I want to look at certain things and decide, these people deserve grace, but these don't. And we don't get to choose who gets God's grace. It's how, it is, it is about the heart of who God is. And you see, to those Jews that were standing on the side, remember Jesus is talking to broken people, hurting people, uh, poor people that have just made mistakes with their lives. But these Jewish elite are standing on the side. And when, he, when they hear this story about a boy that was leaving Jewish country, in their mind, that's sin sin. That's a biggie. That's the biggie. You don't, you don't abandon God. The Jews in that crowd equated that to super sin. And there is no coming back from that. There is no grace there. Which made me think, what are some of the, what are some of the sins that we think we hear about and we equate with, well, God can't help that guy. That's too far. Boy, that, that one messed up. But Don, you don't know what they did to my family. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad they hurt me. You're right, I don't. But God does. And no one is too far gone from God's amazing grace. If you don't get anything out of this series, get this. No one is too far gone. Not... Not the ones with the big sins. Not the ones that vote differently than you. Not the ones that have baggage. Not the ones that have made mistakes. Because that is you and me. We are this son. We are this son. And we have gone to the distant country way too many times. Amen. In 2003, a guy named Bob Shogren and another guy named Gerald Robinson wrote a book called Cat and Dog Theology. Anybody got this book, read this book? It's a great book. Here, I can give you the whole synopsis of it. Um, he, he says that we approach God and life like a cat or a dog. A dog looks at its human that's in its house and says, You feed me and you shelter me and you pet me and you love me. You must be God. And a cat looks at its human and says, you feed me and you shelter me and you pet me and you love me. I must be God. Okay. It's a really great book. Now, my feelings about felines have been well documented. Uh, Not a fan, but I'm also not a fan of sleeping on the couch. So, um, that's why we have them. All right. I don't want them, but we, we still have them. And our culture is very much cat thinking. Okay? The culture that we live in is very much cat-based. We don't want you, God, in our government. We want a good woke culture. We don't want you in our schools. We want to erase any bad thing in our history so nobody gets their feelings hurt. We can handle our choices, God, because we're smart. We believe in choice. 
And we know when a baby is really a baby. And we know these things because we're smart. We're educated. This book's old. It's 2,000 years. I mean, come on. We've, we've grown since then, God. You see, we as a culture make it all about me and the way I want things. And, and it ought to be the way I think. And everybody ought to act the way I think. And then bad things come along and everybody says, where's God? Where's God in this shooting? Where's God in this bad situation? Where's God in this pandemic? And we run around wondering where God is, friends. The road to a change in our culture, the road to revival in our character doesn't start in Washington. It doesn't start in Santa Fe. It starts right here. It starts in obedience and repentance. And stop being cat that says, I want it about me, and start saying, you are God. He is in control. The road to revival begins with responsibility and obedience. We know this story, the story of the prodigal son. We, we can usually even quote the next part. He goes off and he burns all his money on wild women and living and all this craziness. And he finds himself hungry. And he longs to eat pig food. He's so hungry he would, he would like to eat pig food, but he can't even do that. But it's the part that's right after that that matters this so much. In verse 17, when he came to his senses... Such a simple little phrase, but such a huge, monumental life change. He woke up from being God to his own self. He woke up from his selfishness and moved into surrender. He came up with this plan. Did you hear his plan? He hatched this whole plan. This is dumb. Why am I living here? I could go back and maybe get hired on at Pop's place. Maybe I'll play the nepotism card. Maybe he'll show me a little bit of, you know, love. I know I can't be a son again, but at least I could be an employee. They get to be inside for crying out loud and eat food. And he practices that speech. I have sinned. I have, and he makes up this whole plan. I got this. I got this. And do you notice who he sinned against first? I have sinned against heaven and against you, Dad. I. He comes up with this plan he comes to his senses and he gets some responsibility now this next question is very serious do you need to come to your senses now hear this this is not for everybody not every sermon applies to every person Maybe you are already, you have come to your senses. You have been in the faraway land and you have woken up and you have already made that call. But maybe there's somebody in here that hasn't. Maybe there's somebody watching online. And maybe God is speaking to you clearly right now. You need to wake up. You need to make a change before you lose everything. Before you can get better, before your situation can get better, you have got to change. You've got to put down the bottle. You've got to get off those websites. You need to get help. That's why we have so many AA groups 
attached to this church. We have, we have one every single night of the week now. We have seven of them, either here or at the campus house, meeting together. If you are struggling, we want to stand with you, not in judgment, with you. And we want you to feel comfortable. And if you know of somebody, we have those resources. Maybe you're struggling with other things. We want to stand with you. We want to help. We want you to get help so that you will come to your senses. Have you been to the faraway land? Are you there right now? Well, Don, I'm in church on a Sunday morning. How can I be in the faraway land? Here's how. The faraway land is any part of our life that God does not have control of. Any part. You can be 90% here, but still have that. Oh, no, no, that's my thing. All right, don't, that's my escape. That's my, that's my situation. Don't, no, don't mess with that. I got that part handled. God can have the rest of it, but not this part. Friends, it doesn't matter how you got to the faraway land. It doesn't even really matter who's to blame. Scripture tells us we all get there. What we need right now is responsibility. We need to own it. So I have a few questions. Typically, I would put the slide up there that says tough questions, but you all groan every time I show that thing and because uh, it never is happy. And there's never good things that happen after that slide. So I didn't even put the slide up. You can groan now because these aren't pleasant, but they're tough. Let's start out with number one. What sin have you not confessed to God? Well, you mean I prayed on? No, no, I didn't ask you that. What have you not opened up and called it and let God change you? Number two, when was the last time you cried over your sin? You might have cried recently. You might have cried about uh, the situation in our world. You might have been angry about it. You might have cried about other people's sins. When's the last time you cried about yours? Here's a toughie. Full disclosure, I failed this one miserably. Which did you spend more time with this week, Facebook or prayer? And you can take the word Facebook out and install just about anything, all right? Instagram or Sports Center or My Hobbies. Are you, you tracking with me? Which did I spend more time with? Do you spend money you don't have to impress friends that you don't need? Or how about this one? Have you missed an opportunity to lead your family spiritually because you were watching SportsCenter or Bridgerton or whatever the cool show is this week? You hearing me? You see, we can be sitting in the pews and still far away. And God is calling all of us to come to Him, to come back to Him. One other thing. What was dad doing during all this time? Was dad sitting on the porch going, man, that stupid son of mine, I'm telling you, I'll give him a piece of my mind if he ever gets back here. No, he was standing on the front porch looking, is today today? Is today the day he comes back? Oh, God, please bring him back. It made me wonder, do we look for those that have wandered away. Not W-O-N-D, W-A-N-D-E-R. Let's be honest. Between COVID and political division, there have been people that have 
left this church family, are we looking for them? Because God is calling out to them just like He's calling out to us. And too often, I think, we see those people, but we want them to earn their way back in. We want them to earn it. You, you know, as soon as those people go forward and straighten out their life. You know what? I think, I think sometimes we want those people to make the speech that that son made. We want to hear that speech. Yeah, come on. Go ahead and make the speech. Mm, yeah. Mm, well, you know, I told you so. You hearing me? God's not calling us to do that. You know why? Because God's grace is amazing. Thank you. You're, you're catching on to that really quick. God's grace is amazing. You know what it doesn't need? My help. His grace does not need my assistance. It is strong enough. We need to approach others with love, not judgment. Yeah, behaviors have got to change. I get that. You're, you're exactly right. That's where we come alongside, and that's where we help. But God can do the changing. That's God's job. The Holy Spirit will come into people's lives. They will make the change. We need to show the love. We need to welcome people. Welcome back with no snide comments. Well, it's about time you got back here. No, no, no. We should be in conversation with people. I'll be honest with you. I think we should be in conversation with what we call prodigals every day. I think we should be with workers and co-workers and people at the store. We should be in conversation with people that are not here and loving on them, not looking down on them. Hey, we love you. We're standing with you because God's grace is overwhelming when we really truly feel unworthy. But what's sad is sometimes when we've been in church for a while and we feel like we're starting to get things figured out, it's very easy to look down at people and go, I wish they'd get it figured out. One of these days they're going to get it figured out. And then then it becomes an entitlement. God is calling us to... Be amazed at His grace. You know, we all end up in dry seasons, in desert places sometimes. Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe it's in your finances. You know what? I believe God wants to bless our relationship. I believe God wants to bless our finances. I believe He wants to to pull people back together. But the truth of the matter is sometimes we are in dry places of our own fault. That's, again, that's not popular preaching. We don't need to blame. We don't need to celebrate sin. The Bible calls it repentance. It's a big churchy word. It just means a change in my behavior, my attitude, my direction. Now, a lot of times, many of you grew up in conservative church. Repentance means get to that front pew and everybody wag fingers at you. That's not what we're talking about. Repentance is a change inside. Now, maybe yours needs to be a full repentance with baptism with a fresh start. Maybe you've been baptized longer than I've been alive. And you just say, man, I, I need to do different. Will you stand with us? we got people that will pray with you. we got people that will hold you up, that will walk with you. You need to repent. His grace will meet you right where you are. Some people think 
you've run away from God, but you don't understand, Don. You don't know how far I've gone. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far, how, how long it's been since I've been here. I can't even believe I'm here today. I can't believe I'm tuning in for some bizarre reason. I clicked on it, and now I'm watching. Maybe God is speaking to you. And he's saying, turn. You're not too far away. You're one step away. Doesn't matter how far you've run, doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made, doesn't matter what faraway land you are living in, he is one step away. Step towards him and be refreshed. Let's pray. Father God, we need you. We need your amazing grace, we need your love, we need you. And nothing else. May we be caught up in you, in your presence. May we be moved by your love and mercy. May it change us. Teach us true repentance today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.